0: Hey buddy, how's it going? Thanks again for tuning in to The Gods Will Not Save You, The Wire Revisited. My name is Willie Romano
1: Pew. Hey there everyone, my name is Jakob, welcome back. This is a podcast where we do a deep read into each and every episode of the HIT HBO series, The Wire. Woohoo! <laughs> right. Thanks for the woo-woo.
0: That's always much appreciated. And before we get into the deep read of the this episode of this hit series, uh, just a quick reminder, as always, if you got any spare change lying around from underneath your couch cushions or whatnot, be sure to come on over and donate that to us so we could uh, help produce some more great content for you at anchor.fm slash the gods will not save you support. Great.
1: Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for that plug, Willie. And like always, shout out to our supporters. We're trying to, you know, do something big here.
0: Thanks for that. Thanks for hyping us up like that there, buddy. Um, so we are talking today about season two, episode four, Hard Cases. Is this kind of a similarity that we got going on with season one, episode four, Old Cases? I don't know. This is kind of like uh. a, maybe a similar turning point in uh, each season storyline with these these episode number fours. Yeah, that's not really an eloquent. I didn't say that very eloquently, but I hope I got my point across.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't know what else uh, in fours and I don't know, (laughs) uh, and quads, uh, uh, that sounds, I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, that's a great connection. I, I didn't even think of it, but yeah, hard cases, uh, you know, we, we get started with, uh, Nick and Frank. Sort of an iconic opening yeah and uh what what do you make of this uh this intro, what they're laying out for us
0: uh well. The thing that I, I really like about this scene is that it's kind of a master class from the director's standpoint, Elodie Keane, for not needing to do typical uh, camera coverage that you see in a lot of these two person scenes from Hollywood movies where, you know, you got to do the wide shot and then the two shot and then the over the shoulder, you know, always like, you know, cutting in between these two characters. But this is really great because it makes you know great use of the location maybe you have a little more information for us later on in the line with your little geo breakdowns but uh, uh can...
1: <laughs> you know i like to keep it like impractical so it's like <laughs> oh maybe there's a random reference to something else in this dialogue <laughs> but the actual like important bridge uh anyway <laughs> <I'll>, yeah <laughs> um
0: but yeah like it's all uh, pretty much just one shot that they use for like the first couple minutes of the scene. It starts out with like a wide establishing shot of uh Frank Sabatka sitting by his lonesome, you know, contemplating what's going on with his nephew and his life slipping into crime and whatnot. And it kind of just like pans into him almost like as a close-up. And then Nick comes in. And all of a sudden it's either like a two shot or they're panning in between the two characters, which makes just a really good effective use of the time and allows the actors to breathe, so to speak, and have more connectivity to their performance when all of it is just done in like one long take like that. You know, often it seems like when people kind of like harp on these long takes in movies, they expect them to be like, you know, really show-offy with like long tracking shots like a Goodfellas or something, Birdman, whatnot. But scenes like this just go to show you that a shot can be really long and, you know, still hold your attention and not be too show-offy, but just It's long and it's unbroken in a way that we don't typically associate with the, you know, typical aesthetics of, uh, you know, zero cuts and whatnot. So really good use of (laughs) that technique there in that opening scene. Um, I realized I (laughs) I kind of forgot to talk about like what it was actually about.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, no, yeah, just uh, it's like we're going to have just one uncut uh, take of you uh, just like... just breaking down how there were no breaks in that and that shot.
0: I think I mean stuff. I think I think they eventually did cut but it, it's like it was atypical uh for the way it played out and I noticed that and I was like oh man they're really cooking here the the performance is evolving throughout the scene which is nice and Chris Bauer who plays Frank Sabatka I don't think he gets nearly enough credit for like how well he communicates his temperament that you know he's always like a powder keg just waiting to go off but he's still trying to you know keep the calm on all fronts
1: i guess you could say yeah he's like god damn it nick i know you're the smarter of the two between you and my crazy son you're costing me potential business but i mean do you guys get a good cut at least <laughs> <Yeah>. well,
0: Okay, <laughs> right so if you i mean if you want to elaborate. <laughs> a little uh, bit on that what what's happening in this opening scene he's well if kind I recall, of chewing out his nephew,
1: yeah, I mean, you know, Chris has been around, I mean, god damn it <laughs> frank has frank has he got me thinking about Chris Bauer and stuff, but <laughs> anyways, yeah he's frank's obviously you know he's he's no slouch, he knows what he knows what the deal is on the docks, and it's pretty obvious that a can of you know cameras that we can look back on now couple decades later like yeah you know digital cameras but you know that's what equivalent to a bunch of iPhones nowadays or I mean <laughs> it is some like yeah. cutting-edge technology that Back you know pretty day. valuable really valuable shipments gone missing you know he's nervous because not only is it you know in con it's taking place in the same you know time frame as a bunch of uh, dead women that, right showing up you know there's a lot of heat on the docks obviously and basically their their work isn't as guaranteed or you know steady as it once was and there's a lot of competition with other places like down in Virginia, Hampton Roads and Norfolk. So, you know, he's he's like, wait, you guys, you know, I think he's a little surprised at how quickly they uh, flipped them. So <laughs> right. I don't know what he thought they were doing, like just playing uh, like a scavenger hunt with the can. <laughs> like, you know, obviously Nick is super, super broke, apparently. Um, but nice. yeah, it's just, you know, a lot of urgent. There's a lot of urgency and he doesn't have any room for error, especially with now. Uh, well, as we see, as the episode develops, even more heat coming down upon him from homicide, which we'll talk about. Frank isn't too happy, but he's like, Yeah, you know, hey, you guys did well, though. Good, good, yeah. good, good. I wonder, though, how much do you think he turned around then and was like, aside from smacking his son, he's like, OK, you guys each got, you know, your cut. What did they get? Like 20 grand split That's three okay. ways. But is it going to be split four ways now?
0: (laughs) Uh, Who knows? I don't know. But yeah, there's lots of uh, interesting dynamics going on with that because Nick is, you know, realizing his, you know, these jobs are are, are becoming more and more obsolete by the day. So he has a lot of motivation. He, He has a fire lit under his ass to start providing for him and his his girlfriend and his kid and frank is maybe you know he's kind of chewing him out but you know maybe he feels a little bit guilty for bringing his family into this business that's uh super unstable and corrupt and flirting with evil unlike avon who's you know avon and uh frank both have nephews that aren't listening to them and doing what they want to do but the only difference with uh d'angelo to avon's uncle like d'angelo avon's nephew he's tr- rebelling against him and not going further into a life of crime and nick is rebelling against his uncle by doubling down with
1: the greeks <laughs> like nick and d'angelo both also had some you know like family family situations with eh, okay. a little tumultuous like on and off type relationship with uh, okay. a woman that they share a kid with that uh, they uh he has a lot more money and a lot more fits but he's not he wasn't living in anyone's basement i don't know nick is we get a little more of a glimpse of nick in this episode getting to full full full-on savage uh (laughs) nick level but uh i don't know it's great it's just bizarre i don't know nick pablo schreiber if i'm saying it right he's a eh, i don't know interesting interesting actor but we'll I'm sure we got more time to talk about that later, later on. But we kind of see him like get into his full like young, young gun stevedore mentality where he's like, oh, yeah, I just want to like if I could, if I could, like if we could get down right now in this basement, I would. But I got a big (laughs) shit. I'm the man. I'm the provider. Just like, dude, come on. Nick, hey, come on, man. Who are you fooling? You're like, yeah. You're trying to encourage his daughter, you know, to, uh, you know, remember all the ship names and stuff later on and this and that, and lying to Amy about the money that he's coming to from a vacation fund. Nothing, nothing shady going on here, but, uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts on Nick's uh, evolution in this episode. (laughs) More learning more about his character traits.
0: Well, kind of like inconsequential to like the larger themes of what's going on with his character. Just the way... he tries to uh, seduce his girlfriend in the basement. Where he, like <laughs> yeah. he touches her bare breasts, and then like when she like kind of like shoots back at him or shuts him down, he says he's like, "But they're staring right at me." <laughs> is that like a yeah. thing? is that like a, ta- uh, a yeah. tactic that's supposed to work or something, or is that like a common thing that? <laughs> people say to their significant Uh, other that was really strange i
1: I don't think i've ever said that i think i'd get kicked or something (laughs) nah but yeah nick is just he's like oh yeah man i couldn't get laid this morning then he like he comes home he's like ooh, finally got some ships in like (laughs) big man big man It's like, mom, how about I get a meal instead of this tuna? Tuna surprise. surprise. (laughs) It's like, like, dude, shut up! You're a grown ass man. Like, go the go to the store. Like, what what does he do aside from walk down to the dock, uh, make grandiose plans he won't really be able to fulfill with you know his his baby mama or girl on again off again girlfriend partner that they're sneaking into his downstairs like a, you know high school friend of ours might but um you know it's just like she's like hey we have a kid together i mean could he not spend you know 30 minutes after work to go pick up the food that he wants to to cook for himself how old is nick at this point i mean he's in his mid to late 20s or is he yeah early 20s or but i mean i know well we could talk about this elsewhere but yeah they made they made I mean, doesn't have any relation to what we're necessarily trying to determine as far as ages, but they made Chris Bauer look older. Yes, yeah, they
0: gave him a fat but, suit,
1: right? Yeah, <laughs> suit. yeah, because he was like in his late thirties. So, I mean, that maybe that is a clue. Yeah, if he, if Chris Bauer is like thirty nine, I think at this time of filming then by trying to make them look older maybe they're shooting for like late 40s to like you know but i don't know yeah that doesn't it doesn't seem like the family dynamics well it's possible like it seemed like a lot of people in that area had a lot of kids but like small windows you know like Mm -hmm. immigrant families and so forth but i mean it could happen where you know you have a bunch of kids and then later on down the line that you know you kind of oh here comes another and that could have been frank but hey i don't know maybe they're like we want nick to be 20 he's supposed to be 22 no because <laughs> <laughs> it's like if d'angelo is nine like what was he in his late teen, he, early I, 20s i think he was 22 when he got sentenced to you yeah. yeah i mean just watching him i mean he's frustrated like he does you know like dumb stuff or whatnot. He's naive, but then sometimes watching Nick, he's like, "Oh, staring right at me, like, yeah, <laughs> where's the the steak, Mom? Tuna?" Nah. Yeah, I mean. Can't really escape' them. Locus point I found out today, like well, again, could go elsewhere, Willie, but since we're just we're just riffing on it, there were it's like the guy uh Walt Benowitz, who kind of inspired some of these characters like Frank, he grew up on Hull Street and then within one within like one block or something like that, unless I'm getting it wrong, there were nine bars <laughs> <laughs> or something like that, like <laughs> a one square block race, like bars are everywhere, so you can't you can't make. You know, I guess we we can't get a uh, get too critical of these guys when literally like you could get lost on your way home from five blocks down the street, like and just stumble into another bar.
0: Sounds like the dream. <laughs> yeah, living the dream. You uh, just stop at, Stop at <laughs> one bar just for a few minutes each, and you can get like a complete breakfast. You get a yeah. a you know raw egg and a beer at. That one bar, who
1: knows what they'll serve you at the other one. Yeah, hopefully not stupid tuna surprise. <laughs> uh, his dad seems like a, de- you know, he's like, oh, tuna surprise again. It's okay, son. Like, <laughs>
0: It's kind of messed up that they're both ragging on her
1: cooking yeah. ability. <laughs> we're, he's, we're, the dad's in on it too. Yeah, he's like, yeah. But yeah, you know, we're getting like a kind of really old world vibe in this episode where you get multiple shots of women who are like stuck in the kitchen. Like, even when, right. you know, I'm sure we'll talk about this storyline, but moving forward but when even you know mcnulty goes there to to try to pry information about the woman in the photograph a lady who's like really seems really interested like oh I, I feel like someone actually cares to notice me and is asking mm-hmm. me for my expertise oh i'm sorry father like the the potatoes leek soup is uh it's almost ready for you it's like yeah we're getting that getting that glimpse into that type of
0: yeah we get a glimpse sort of patriarchy. in patriarchy mcnulty gets a glimpse into that life uh so that's probably somewhat revealing information to him just on like a big scale worldview, but it doesn't yield any clues about the actual
1: case. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Kind of jumping around here. Now. But I mean, it's, I guess going back to Nick, we could give him a little credit because uh even though he does demonstrate these juvenile behaviors at times, he's still trying to, he's still tasked with like staying on top of crazy ass Ziggy who now yeah, has, it's true. his flush. So We're kind of, we're getting our first uh, real full glimpse of uh, Ziggy, you know, in his, whatever you want to call it, this episode. If there's any doubt.
0: He's flaunting expensive Italian leather that he's buying with his newfound spoils. And uh, it's really interesting to draw the contrast between how Frank confronts Nick about the stolen can and the way he confronts Ziggy. Because with, you know, he yells at Nick, but he tries to, you know, appeal to his better judgment um and you know calms down after a moment and tries to reason with him and you know get on his level of understanding but with ziggy he just walks up to him immediately and just slaps him upside the head yeah (laughs) just goes to show you who he whose you know opinion he respects more i guess between his nephew and his son
1: yeah i think that i mean obviously like in these situations nick is uh much more astute But I think there also is some dynamic like, you know, at the end of the day, he's not his dad. So you don't really hit a kid that's that's not yours unless like you have that. You know, he's still a little brother to Nick's pop, so he doesn't really. Maybe there's still a line that he has to toe as far as like the hierarchy of their family. I don't know. I guess uh, you know, with your own kids, like he has, he has the green light. But maybe you know, Ziggy's just someone who seems to only really respond to like violence or uh, mm-hmm. like a machine gun or some like weapons or or pictures uh, of his own penis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Ziggy almost he didn't he didn't take a selfie at the bar. Per se, but he was taking early stage dick pics, right? He's kind yeah. of. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, hey, he had his digital camera. Also, Nick is so like. Uh, I mean, I guess he's never seen a computer before, really. So
0: yeah, that he's was. Just, a- he
1: can't he can't wrap his head around a like a. <laughs> A digital camera
0: I mean and that was just uh so <laughs> for those of you who are following along who are having trouble following along here there's a scene where yeah Zig- <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> <laughs> there's a scene where Ziggy and Nick are at the bar and Ziggy is showing off this new digital camera you know that they just boosted Ziggy is showing off this new camera to Nick and Nick is kind of like dumbfounded like oh there's no film in that or whatever like you don't have to take it down to a lab like what's going on here And, you know, this, by today's standards, we're far and away from those digital cameras that seemed like cutting edge back in 2003 or whatever. But... I feel like this just sums up like a lot of what's going through Nick's head at all times with the forced obsolescence and changing workforce and all that, how everything is getting kind of automated and the old way of doing things is just forcefully being pushed out in all aspects of life. So that's just a good way to kind of illustrate the the gaps in his understanding, I guess, and probably speaks for a lot of stevedores who saw some digital cameras
1: yeah great point thanks for rounding that off no, um, no because i totally forget i i damn it totally uh i in my nick bashing i i had that you know as as ammo as well but i i, I forgot to to place it in you know
0: it's i you know well, we could We could always circle back and bash later for the bashing that we've left
1: out. Yeah, well, yeah. So, Ziggy, the writing's on the wall. You know, he he doesn't know how to act. I don't know if you got anything else you want to throw in about these these two or what what kind of happened initially at the docks i guess we should move on here shortly
0: (laughs) yeah well (laughs) i mean the we we get some more uh indication that there's a rift between uh people working at the docks who are who are uh you know catching on to Ziggy's schemes with uh, uh what's his name maui Maui, yeah. With Maui kinda of, they're kind of exchanging little pranks between each other because he's pissed off that he's showing off his Italian leather jacket to everybody, getting it from doing shady shit on the docks while everybody else is just trying to keep their head down and make a an honest day's pay, you know? So that's yeah. an interesting little dynamic that we'll see uh consequences of from later on in the season.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he bumps him so he spills, and then yeah, he tells him to just go steal a uh, a pallet or whatever of baby <laughs> wipes, but. Ziggy's reason for being up there also his Ziggy's ability like he's a checker I'm assuming I don't really know his occupation I mean he just he's kind of all over the place you know he's he's down miss, losing cans then he's <laughs> up on top I guess those are the checkers with the more yeah modernized uh computer equipment this is not very subtle in his uh yeah you know, his, like, it, it's so, it's very obvious, you know, how out of place he is and that, that he's up to no good. He's just blatantly in open air talking to Johnny 50 about where he can get, you know, heavy amounts or heavy chemicals in large quantities uh, yeah. as if no one around him could hear when, like, people know that's not really his position to be in that office in the first place
0: (laughs) part of me thinks that like either ziggy is just like continuously getting demoted or moved around so that like (laughs) frank doesn't have to fire him but the like in like kind of like shuffling him around to like avoid those awkward conversations it's just making the nepotism more bald-faced i guess but yeah ziggy seems totally Like he's living in a different reality from Frank altogether as to where Ziggy looks at like crime or like the life of crime. Like if he was in college, he would probably have like a poster, like a Scarface poster up in his dorm room and idolize Tony Montana without like reading into like the deeper message of like gangster movies like that, that they always usually, you know, get violently killed or live the rest of their life in disgrace. And Frank, you know, he's in the middle of that life. (laughs) You know, how deep he is in is up for debate. But he's in the middle of this and he knows that, like, it's not a good way to live. And he doesn't want that for anybody. (laughs) Like, he doesn't want that for anybody in his family. But he feels like he's making these moral sacrifices for the greater good of the the brotherhood, so to speak. But Ziggy still is glamorizing this shit.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's almost like it just happened, you know, Ziggy was born where he was into the family right uh, to whereas, you know, maybe he's not that far off from someone like Frog who we'll meet, who's the delusional white <laughs> drug dealer who just happened to be born to, uh, you know, whatever, a regular working class family or who knows what. That led him to be like the confused white boy on the corner saying the N-word and like just <laughs> out, of, out of his mind. But, you know, in this context, Ziggy's just like just doing doing the delusional crime, crime stuff on the docks. But, I don't know. But... <sighs> weird weird guy for sure you think
0: Uh, by by having this uh this little subplot in of uh ziggy continuously taking pictures of his own penis uh that this episode inadvertently started a toxic trend among men
1: (laughs) in the (laughs) internet age (laughs) yeah well it's never more uh at the forefront you know especially now stuff that's coming about about uh zoom calls and stuff (laughs) so i mean this has obviously been going on for a long time but yeah i mean ziggy i guess he had no fear of getting canceled on the docs so but my (laughs) first thought was yeah i was like oh fuck maui like and i thought like man would i know how to quickly get that off of uh, my screensaver (laughs) i mean ziggy ziggy has some obviously he was talented i don't know if it was he and nick are you know roughly around the same age yeah. went to the same schools it's like well, was ziggy and some rop type classes to learn you know like tech whereas nick was just like i don't know being metal a, shop. Uh, yeah which <laughs> <laughs> i mean nothing against those but yeah yeah what, what <laughs> it's just their archetype it's their character or the- yeah it's just it's how does he know so much but i mean he's very he could have gone places probably in you know the early uh You know, tech boom of the, what, mid-2000s and stuff? Right. Early mid-2000s? Now, he'd be, like, the most toxic, like, tech bro, too, if you put him in Silicon Valley. Like, oh, man. Yeah. That'd be the worst. Yeah.
0: He'd probably, like, set up cameras in the women's bathrooms or something. (laughs) <laughs> you took it right there <laughs> i don't know like i'm
1: trying to think of like what would be uh, toxic masculinity i know you have kind of like an unlimited uh like scenario pool <laughs> i'm just trying to think i'm just
0: trying to put his personality in that workplace and yeah. no, you know <laughs>
1: He'd be, he'd be, yeah. He just probably what they were staring right at me, just <laughs> okay. taking photos. <full> f- <laughs> As my cousin uh, used to say, they're staring right at me. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it's been about a half hour just talking about Nick and Ziggy. You want to just what? stay on the docks here, like? Uh, I mean, about-
0: I figured we pretty much, we pretty much covered everything covered. i mean this is i, I mean know. it's not surprising that we're out on the docks you know it is October. we gotta stay <laughs> faithful to the the
1: concept what can you do yeah you gotta stay true to the to the October. uh yeah <laughs> challenge is it a challenge yeah.
0: <laughs> or what I is don't it we're if, doing
1: here <laughs> i don't know i mean yeah <laughs> yeah we're just seeing where it goes October. would lester and bunk and bd's trip to the docks fit into a this type of uh, storyline, even though it's sure. something that, uh, you know, it, it raises the stakes much higher yeah. more so than the uh, topic of stolen digital cameras. If you, right. you want to elaborate or, you know, help out here. Uh, help, yeah. help. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, we we do get a glimpse uh, when uh, R- BD Russell, Freeman, and Bunk go to the docks to, like, try and get some guys in line for questioning uh we get to see another little parallel with the pit because all the stevedores have their own little signal for when cops are coming just like the pit boys do. did you notice that they're all whistling
1: yeah i noticed that but again it's great uh yeah it's a great parallel you made there great yeah. it's great you're great thank you no stop it you're great <laughs> <laughs> October. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, but that is that's uh, hey, it's a great point. Like uh like Ziggy, if you keep on fucking up, you're gonna be on the bottom end of Terminal Two taking dick pics, yelling five oh. <laughs>
0: Sorry. <laughs> uh, no,
1: that was a great, great comment. <laughs> anyways, it didn't get that far, but yeah, I mean they are they are a unit, the I, uh, IBS rather. Right.
0: But with them showing up,
1: with you know
0: a homicide detectives showing up, it uh, just elevates the kind of paranoia that is already going on with everything that happened, um, and it signals to. Well, I mean, we have a little scene with them trying to bring horse in, and he steadfastly refuses. Uh, but then later on, when they show up to the bar, they kind of break the news to. Uh, frank that the girls were murdered and that's when uh, you know it's a
1: hard case yeah they're they're pretty impressed with horses uh you know he i mean he knows his stuff he knows his uh he's been drilled well and legalities of their union and so forth yeah and then i think in that opening shot or their their initial voyage unsuccessful uh trip to to try to get information out of them you could see frank kind of from a distance like talking to someone about a problem that seems like you know something right. i forgot exactly what the issue was but it was definitely worth his uh worry at that moment but then when he sees the cost, he's like oh right God, oh, something something biggers and then something bigger's happening and then like you said it, it's all confirmed when they uh confront him but what do you think about his reaction there like uh is it something that's just such a visceral reaction to their statement that he couldn't even really come up with the plan because to me it seemed a little obvious like okay two cops have been you know kind of trying to throw their weight around bunk is just like Ugh, i hate that country shit <laughs> yeah uh, does he forget that he was at the bar with jimmy not too long ago listening to conway twitty <laughs> like just trying to pick up chicks like when i'm with my boy jimmy though we're trying to like hook up with some, uh, some girls down in Billy Land or wherever it's all good, but in these areas, like... He
0: probably can't stand it. He probably can't stand that shit when he's with Jimmy either. And he probably lets yeah. Jimmy know that he wants to turn yeah. on James Brown instead.
1: Yeah, not even Ray Charles can apparently, <laughs> uh, like, neutralize the country. But anyways, uh I mean, you know, Lester. Lester's being, like, super... I forgot what he said in that moment, too. He's being a little disrespectful. He's like... He's like just he said something about they're dead anyways or just like oh lester's not playing around but maybe he could help me out later with what's coming up with that phrase i don't know mm. uh I'm setting this up for a limited success with that one. But anyways, <laughs> super vague and just anyway, basically my point is that, I mean, Frank is, he just immediately almost excuses himself and runs away. Like what a, someone who's not involved in stuff, you know, as he wants to make himself seem like react that way. I mean, these guys are seasoned <laughs> homicide detectives. What's up with that?
0: I know that, uh, is not a good look for him. <laughs>
1: uh. It's not a good look for him when he stares back at his reflection either, right?
0: Yeah, he's got like a he's got. Well, he's he's staring back at his reflection, and he's like right next to a picture, like a old timey, like old school (laughs) picture of these shipbuilders, you know, getting it done and doing the man's work, and you know, putting in all the grease and grit and grunt, elbow grease, blah blah blah. He sees (laughs) (laughs) when he he when he sees that picture, it's almost kind of like he's looking at himself in the mirror, like I, you know. Let these girls get killed, or I'm like now part of a murder investigation, and I'm just standing in the shadow of all these honest, hardworking guys who earn their buck. And look at me, I'm just here in the middle of a fucking multi-murder
1: case. Yeah, that I he did put- swallow.
0: But, he did a good job
1: with that acting there. That Chris Bauer, I felt it. That Chris Bauer, I tell you what, anyways. So, what's going on else? Uh, what else is going on in Baltimore? It's, well, I mean, pretty much you, you tied that off with the bow. Good stuff,
0: October baby. Um, <laughs> woo, <yeah>. <laughs> uh. <laughs> We got Avon doing this nasty, nasty little plan with the hot shots. I don't know, man. It's yeah, so
1: brutal. evil. Yeah. I mean, they set it up, though. I want to get your opinion on this one. The, the brass of the uh, MCI, mm-hmm. I think they call it, Maryland Correctional Institute. The state police, Reynolds is there with the other... Uh, officials and the way he lays it out is it i mean is he almost uh i don't know if it's a leading question or something he's like okay yeah this this and that we got all these you know ods it can't be a uh you know it can't be just like a bad package they are cutting it up out there with with poison to stretch it out you know what we need though we need to work this from the informant angle and it's like i don't know is that a bit leading or yeah played and- it in a little more subtly did it raise any suspicions because in the past i don't know it's like it's so complex that it's hard to cue in all these uh different plots and how they're all interwoven and so forth but now watching it with more of the eagle eye uh, <laughs> it's go. like oh like, that's not I'm just that's my ego. Yeah, <laughs> 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 okay. <laughs> I'm a I'm a bird now. Uh uh but <laughs> Okay. Anyways, so we got the eagle over there and I'm got my eye over here. And <laughs> anyways, so it, I'm just was that an alarming statement where he's like, that's all good, but we need an informant. Oh, look, here comes Avon. And then by right. the end of it all, he's like, you know what? I bet that guy did it. I mean, yeah. Reynolds can't. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, Reynolds can't possibly have anything to do with like Tellman or any of that. Right. Or he, it's just, right. his character is a little like, I think maybe didn't weave him in, you know, as subtly as they could, or maybe I'm being too critical of how they could have developed like how they come across Avon, but they had to figure it out somehow how to loop him in, right, with his his find. (laughs)
0: Right. Well, it's troubling that they're like willing to forego the possibility that Avon had anything to do with it just so they can kind of like get the case closed, you know, and avoid bad yeah. p- bad press or bad word of mouth yeah. or whatever. They're just trying to like make this thing disappear and Levy comes in playing the hardball and basically like, you know, getting them to reduce Avon's Sentence by quite a bit. Like it's all just kind of disheartening to uh, get a peek into the to the backstage of this and find out how swiftly these things are dealt with. Without, <laughs> as you said, approaching it from all angles,
1: not just the informant angle. I mean, I don't know. Did I? You made me seem smarter and more concise. Well,
0: well <laughs> you said you said something about like, oh, we need an informant angle on the. So. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah. He just jumped to it pretty yeah, quickly. So. Just what else? I was, I was like getting into conspiracy theories. I guess like, ooh, what's going on with Reynolds there? But yeah, I mean, it's super uh, disheartening that no, none of those people, you know, none of the prisoners uh, who fell ill or died really are worth the actual. You know, they're not worth the truth. It's you know, yeah. the saving, fa- saving face. Saving face in in light of this uh, tragedies. What's the priority? Because as we see in the police department, you know, that's how careers are made or uh, destroyed. So
0: I mean, and it just ties into like the whole larger theme uh, that's throughout the series, really, of how people are seen uh, as expendable in a lot of these situations, whether you're incarcerated or homeless that, you know these are just statistics to people who are working on the on the side of things where they're trying to keep you in line
1: Avon, you know he's trying to play up d you know as far as getting him on board yeah but d knows what's going on he obviously puts two and two together you know there's no coincidences in this world it's with Avon especially and that he didn't just come to him to try to be a good uncle and you know that he was actually concerned. It's more, more so. Well, it's Avon's cruel way of saying, "I'm looking out for you." Like, <laughs> yeah,
0: just,
1: right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. Imagine having an uncle that's like, "No, this is how I help you." Like we, yeah. we kill your, we kill your friends. I mean, it's <laughs> I'm like a sociopath. What a psycho. So, but yeah, they have no choice. I mean, they're so uh, compromised, the, the prison system, and overburdened, and just incompetent that they have no choice. Like you said to take the deal that's what that's what the top uh top guy or whoever some other guy comes in and says uh that uh this is the deal you got to take yeah because what if uh what if more what if more of this happens which is their worst nightmare so it's
0: unbelievable yeah yeah man masterful way to like play the play them all at the at the correctional facility by just uh dropping that bomb in the middle of everything and then kind of you know, it's such a threatening move that they could be scared of it happening again. And it's almost kind of like forcing them to show their hand and, you know, play along with them in order to, you know, prevent more damage from happening. It's kind of a sad state of events. And it's also really sad that uh, D'Angelo is kind of holding on to his conviction from the end of the first season and that he's going to try to leave this life behind. And when he expresses that, you know, with all of his heart to Avon, that he, he's going to try to be straight and narrow from now on, that's the thing that's going to set off the alarm bells for Avon and especially Stringer about his loyalty. We all know where that's going to end up in a few episodes
1: or so. Yeah, man, it's <coughs> like sealing his fate by just trying to step away. Well, I was, I, in order to tie this all together, they still had to frame Tillman, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and the timing had to be almost impeccable. And right. we had Shamrock, who, you know, as we, as you noted earlier in our work, uh, upset String down the road by uh, his, <laughs> you know, note taking and so forth. Uh, he's being very subtle in this moment. <laughs> You know what subtle means, right? (laughs) Lay back and shit, right? Isn't that what he says? (laughs) Subtle shamrock. Uh, He called him rock at one point. He's like, hey, rock. I I mean, this might sound stupid, but shamrock can't be obviously rock rock, right?
0: (laughs) No. (laughs) No, I don't think so. There's no way, right? Yeah, the
1: timelines, like an organized, like it doesn't make sense.
0: I mean, shamrock and shamrock, I don't know maybe this is me being naive but he seems like a lot younger than i was imagining rock rock to be
1: yeah but definitely
0: maybe.
1: i don't know and rock rock like on all the like websites is spelled like R-O-C. know, rock like rock nation or yeah. rock aware or whatever but i mean he's he is pretty subtle i don't i mean we don't really it's obviously occurs off screen the the planting of the evidence so Tillman in that moment when he's you know obviously upset well he's going to jail now for a long time saying that you planted this on me I mean it wasn't completely incorrect it just it wasn't it wasn't the correctional officers or cops who did it it was subtle shamrock that's a whole different (laughs) that's like a whole different level of shamrock (laughs) Uh, seriously yeah. So,
0: and I mean, he must yeah. have he must have gotten it in there good because they had
1: to like really tear apart the uh, tear apart the car with some force. Yeah. I mean, if you're gonna have a guy do it, I mean, he and Bodhi just did literally oh, yeah. take a <laughs> take apart an entire car, so he He's knows had practice. Yeah. He's like, "What model is this sedan? Okay, uh, I know, I know each and every uh, compartment." So. Uh, yeah, rock
0: but, uh, enough with that i got a midterm i gotta study yeah.
1: okay yeah i'll stop blabbering on here i know you're busy but yeah so stringers deep in his uh i'm assuming economics or who knows what this could be what class this is i mean what what class would he be if i guess if he started in micro in first season he's now in macro or vice versa or he's on to something completely different one can only imagine. But hey, any uh, economists out there or econ lovers, let us know. Uh, what What do you think? What <laughs> What class is Stringer in? What What midterm is he uh, <laughs> deeply also, focused in?
0: I also like that's a um, for that scene. That's like a, I feel like that's a, I was, when I was watching it, I was like, oh, that's a trope we don't really see anymore in like, you know, modern TV shows that Shamrock comes in to announce like, oh yeah, the plan went well. And he turns on the TV right as the like conference is having that Tillman is getting arrested for yeah, yeah. And it's like, okay, like that wouldn't. You know, now he just come in and be like, "Oh, check Twitter, <laughs> <Or> like, yeah. <laughs> Look at your check local news Twitter or something." <laughs> yeah. It's like so weird that that was like not that's a plot device that isn't really used that much anymore. That someone will just happen to turn on the news right at the right time, and that the news would even be reporting like something like that. I
1: don't know. Check your local uh, meme page. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Check next door. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. they. Well, yeah. I mean, they have the uh, TV queued up ready on, I guess they watch the news often or didn't (laughs) even change the channel. Just like, boom.
0: I mean, it might be something important for them to uh, keep abreast of, uh, you know, local news to maybe keep an eye out for their organization and see if it's in any danger.
1: So, what do you what do you make of uh, String's face, though, in that moment? Uh, I mean, is his look for from you know maybe a uh, some sort of economic policy that he's grappling <laughs> with, uh, memorizing, or is there so, uh, deeper uh, deeper meaning? To- I mean, part of
0: me. Was thinking like, oh, Shamrock is eager to, uh, you know, brag about his little mission that he accomplished. So he's, you know, searching for some validation from Stringer. He's like, look, look, uh, dad or boss, uh, look at what I did. <laughs> look at this. This is all me. And he's like, yeah. I got to
1: study. Yeah. Or, I mean, I was thinking also that it's like oh shit it worked you know now avon's probably gonna come home and this is i wanted this i want control
0: now it's time to really study it yeah because the big guys
1: he's coming home i'm maybe i'm not so happy about about helping out and damn it shamrock (laughs) you're so subtle and now now you know (sighs) what what little control i had or me running the show is no longer uh, a thing but i mean they're not doing so well regardless right the, uh, the package from vargas in atlanta is pretty weak right. uh, yeah they just keep stepping on it and stepping <laughs> on it everyone knows in his outfit that uh, it's not a, it's not a good look or that it's so <laughs> their product is so terrible but he just i don't know whatever chapter he's on is telling them to just keep keep on pushing out the bad bad stuff
0: yeah, it's really unfortunate that their product is, you know, taking a quality hit and uh they're not in their their glory days. They're not
1: uh able to reclaim their uh their throne. We don't have too much knowledge on the competition at this point, but Yeah, they're having to get their stuff from Atlanta. Yeah, what is uh, damn it, I forgot. I was going to say a rhyme from someone I used to, I just remembered, but da 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 da. I went to Toronto. I went to Atlanta. I used to drink Pepsi. Now I drink Fanta. Uh, Shout out to Hannibal Burrs. That's, Uh, (laughs) never (laughs) heard that one before. That was nice. Eric Andre Show, he tells a guest, he's like, I have a rap or something, or he has a Drake song, and then he says stuff about Atlanta and Fanta. Nice, anyways. Uh, Hope we don't get flagged for that. <laughs> no, uh, no, nah, I, I don't think so. <laughs> I made us too paranoid. <laughs> no, no, if you read something, as long as you give credit, it's uh, it's you're not violating fair use. <laughs> Is that true? Uh, well, yeah. what other stuff, uh, we want to get into here, like going on uh, glossing over the th- storylines of this grand episode.
0: Well, we got some new developments going on with the
1: detail, right? Yeah, so Valchek's threats. Uh, uh, were effective, right? Right. Perell calls Daniels in to coax him out of uh, his retirement, <laughs> and and Daniels doesn't actually. I mean, he, he's not a lawyer. He made it. It's like, I mean, he never states it. He says, "I have a law degree." Right. He's, he's already like uh, Marla's went wherever she needed to go. Sign him up for the bar. Yeah. Already in the bar exam <laughs> so, next month. <laughs> yeah. So you know it's feasible. Obviously, he's a seems pretty astute and smart but i mean burrell's like hey you could you know have pretty much what you want Um, He also calls him arrogant. I don't know. Does Daniels come across to you as arrogant?
0: Um, If it is, it's like righteous arrogance. I feel like like if he's going to brag about anything, I feel like he has the achievements um, under him to kind of warrant that arrogance. But no, he seems like mostly like pretty like dead on focus, not really like self aggrandizing or bullshitting about anything most of the time. So, yeah, that insult didn't really land for me either. It does seem like he's gotten a lot smarter since he's gotten smarter in his approach to Burrell uh, from the first season, how he kind of just like hardline negotiate who he wants on the detail and then makes it clear that he wants the, if they break the case, he wants it to be a permanent major crimes unit from now on. So he's got you know, some leverage behind
1: him. Yeah. They kind of have their reunion. It's an, you know, it's an uneasy reunion. The, uh, the detail at the, uh, oh, yeah. the new digs. Cause I, or am I getting ahead of myself? No, 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 that's good. That's good stuff. <laughs> well, they're all like, Ooh, but why, like, why is he so adamant on, he's like, Oh, I need Halk. It's like, why though? Is he so adamant? Like, ah, oh, yeah, Herc. It's like, is he really that valuable? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. seems to just cause a lot of issues, but uh, Prez is like, where's, where's Lester? Huh? So yeah, you know, everyone's, everyone's trying to get their, you know, whatever. I don't know. A lot is kind of made about this in this season is, or maybe I've just listened to a few negative people who are like, I don't know the way that this whole unit gets back together. is a little bit too contrived or something.
0: What no, think. I, th- I think it's fine. And I think it's uh, it's nice that they do a little um rev- like ironic reversal uh, from the first season where everybody's kind of shitting on Prez and talking about how stupid he is pulling a trigger with a, you know, a bullet still in the chamber. In the chamber, and you know, hitting a kid in the face with the butt of his gun. But he kind of like orchestrated this uh, this reunion himself because he is so frustrated with the incompetence of the former detail. So it's like, oh wow, we've really seen this guy grow, and he's taking it upon himself to start another major investigation, even though they don't really know what they're looking for <laughs> at this point. Still,
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, good stuff. They uh, they have like what they think a pretty. Thin- in case, right? Yeah. So, um, but there wasn't, it wasn't necessarily easy, especially for Daniels and Kima. They have some parallels. Which...
0: Yeah. Their relationships are pretty much crumbling before their eyes from this moment on. Both of their, well, Kima's girlfriend and Daniels' wife, they both want them to be lawyers, but they can't resist the. What is it that Kima says? If I hear the music, I'm going to dance.
1: You hear, yeah. Just, I mean, just like uh, Lester delivers his ultimatum, like his uh, statement regarding dances and so forth. So. Oh, uh,
0: what was it? If I'm going to go to a dance, I got to grab
1: some tit, right? Yeah, he's like, they were staring right at me. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway, I don't want to equate him and man. <laughs> Many okay. similar. Uh... Yeah, so yeah, they're, they're pretty much done. They both have really nice tables, though, and they really go big for dinner. It's like, man. Yeah it's like i want really, like, no i just i mean it's like a coincidence that they're both sitting down we're we're both uh <laughs> Cheryl and Marla cooking a special dinner when they're like we're going to use the giant dining table tonight or they just I mean, obviously for effect too, I'm sure, but they really uh, do a classy dinner. I, I gotta say
0: if I, well, I mean, who's to say that, you know, Daniel's or, uh, share Daniel's or Akima weren't the ones that prepared the dinner. That's true. (laughs) Oh, maybe
1: I'm thinking through my old world lens. This this episode. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. You never know. See? Toxic if, masculinity on display for me.
0: If I had like a major disappointing announcement to make to my wife, and if they made me a dinner that was that good, I would probably wait until after I ate the dinner yeah. before I would like let them down because, uh, man, that's they both of those uh, dinner dates seemed awkward beyond uh, any reasonable. Like, it's not something I'd want to sit in on. I couldn't even yeah. enjoy my meal with that much tension in both
1: of those respective rooms. Exactly. I mean, that's a great point. Like, I can think that from my end, I struggle with stress and anxiety enough in the kitchen while trying to prepare something that I would think is tasty. To where I'm arsenal like, here. Well, I'm just saying, yeah. like, you know, I like to cook, but it's like yeah. if I had something that big to reveal that I know would probably be right. a major, like uh, something that's just a, an obstacle too large to overcome in a in a relationship that's already, you know, crumbling and more or less. I don't know, you know, how, how uh, focused I would be on <laughs> um, putting something out that's tasty enough, like it, it would just maybe compound the already uh, awful night that, that was to come. You know, whereas the food probably wouldn't be tasty because of the stress and then uh, the bad news as well. So The food looked good, too. There's like
0: roasted vegetables. They had a nice little both of them. Both of their tables had nice little
1: setups with like candles, right? Like yeah, candles, big old wine glasses and stuff. Yeah. Or really ornate uh, cutlery and and they're I mean, both, they
0: def- are yeah. they both listening to classical music too are they both listening to the same piece of classical
1: music yeah the same the same music uh <laughs> uh that was actually who was it uh, and nah, i don't know uh, uh, but, uh, yeah they definitely they're definitely not into uh probably those or those like uh blue apron type meals like, they go straight from scratch. That's like a farmer's market level like ingredient sourcing meal.
0: Yeah, really. All
1: right. Uh I ate a little before this, but I'm getting peckish. a little hungry. Yeah. yeah. Peckish. I don't, I don't like like wanting to snack or like that peckish. <laughs> I'm a I'm a I'm a bird now too. I'm the bird now. <laughs> hey man. Look we at both, me! I'm the bird now, Willie.
0: We both gotta have an aerial view of the arc of this show in order to break, you know,
1: break it up into
0: narrative. Yeah, I don't know what the hell's going to. All right, uh, I'm gonna edit all that out probably. Uh, no,
1: well, Willie, we're going on an hour or more for just like three. <laughs> Jesus, uh, what? Let's uh, That's let's talk deep. a little about uh, you want to talk about Jimmy's journey through this episode to yeah like he's on the he's on the uh on the road more or less uh trying to track down the identity of a woman in a photo uh, right as well as finally uh dealing with With locating omar Omar, right uh, because i don't know this silly comparison but i think after ziggy takes his dick pic does it not go then to jimmy kind of messing around with the picture of the woman like i gotta find who she is nice it's like how much yeah the dichotomy of like the seriousness or yeah the different uh, manners in which these photos are being utilized or the the tactics surrounding you know the motivation nice. for for having these photos but maybe maybe i was off by a scene or something but anyways it's a big deal to him but he also has the practical task of finding omar and uh he's out on the streets of uh west baltimore Trying right. to trying to utilize his uh, investigative abilities and the patterns he he knows as far as uh, you know where Omar may may or may not be. Basically, what I'm trying to say is he activates Jimmy find Omar van mode, and he like is immediately yeah. at the van. Which yeah. is that is that still this is that the same van that Stinkum <laughs> and WeeBay and and burnt uh, to shit. Uh, yeah,
0: burnt. It probably is uh, right.
1: <laughs> damn, maybe that was what I should have focused on. For nah. stuff. But I no, I mean it's a different angle from like obviously we see Omar in season one looking out at the van, but this is now right. It's like a different shot. But yeah, I mean if that if that if that is the same van, man, I could see why residents are unhappy about like <laughs> uh you know, I mean it's all dilapidated, but there's a lot of complex issues that go into all that. But anyways, my I mean Jimmy's really great instincts for at least finding omar's vehicles because he's he always is locating them but unsuccessfully unsuccessful in finding omar in this instance
0: well he finds but he finds bubs and he (laughs) ropes him into his
1: whole plan and gets his walkman (laughs) yeah he finds bubs stealing stuff leverages that takes a walkman to give to uh elena like in a way i mean bubs may be helping Get his marriage back on track. Yeah. Uh, uh, with the fresh, uh, she's like, wow, these are really amazing. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's like, yeah, you remember that uh, dope fiend that who's handed I him to, a shake? Yeah, who I brought to our son's soccer game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, and then Bubs is in a shooting gallery that just happened to have happens to have Kimmy right. uh, yeah. talking to a woman, getting her intel together uh, to rob Lamar's uh, stash house. It can't be Lamar brother Mazone's Lamar, right? We're assuming he lives in no, yeah. in New York. But, but Right, yeah. Um, just coincidence. But I mean, what about all these uh, coincidences that ultimately lead to Omar confronting Bubbles? Because, I mean, yeah. you might not be able to find him, but he'll find you. That's for exactly. sure.
0: Exactly. And you can find his, I mean, you can find his accomplices, right?
1: <laughs> Anyways, yeah. yeah. So, Jimmy trying to do his detective work, but Yeah, uh, just kind of gets lucky, right? But he's persistent, just riding around, you know. Right.
0: Still in his uh, Marine unit
1: uniform. (laughs) Is he? Yeah. See, again, what is, like, how much beer and crab did he get Officer Diggins to just always have, like, unlimited free time? Unless, going back to my theory, it's like Jimmy's day off and he's just like, (laughs) I'm too lazy. I mean, he's missing his dentist appointments. He's late on this. He's late on this. So laundry day, I mean, would it be too, uh, you know, crazy to assume that he just roll with the uh, (laughs) same uniform he wears? Or is that a little bit too much of a stretch as far as his uh, his character at this moment?
0: Uh, Maybe he's keeping that uniform on so that when he goes back into the office, he can impress that woman who's always objectifying him. You know, you know what I'm talking about? One, yeah, she's always, like, happy to see him, and there's always, like, this shot of her just, like, yeah. Uh, for those of us who can't see, Jakob is doing a fantastic Winona impression of yeah. <laughs> when she just, like, sits there leering at Jimmy as he walks
1: away. I'm looking at you, Willie. I'm looking at that ass.
0: Oh, thanks, man. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I'm not uh, showing my ass over Zoom, everybody.
1: (laughs) No, don't take pictures too. Yeah, but (laughs) Jimmy's pretty persistent and he even has time to go to St. Casmer's. I know I said Casmere last time, but it's Casmer's. That's for sure. He's all over the place because, well, I mean, you know, it's hard to resist talking about the Geo. Like I got more coming about Jimmy, of course, but he's all the way going from the west side looking for Omar to over on... O'Donnell and I think Canton Mm -hmm. and uh that's on the other side of town almost yeah I guess small enough town but yeah yeah I know we mentioned the uh the woman that he's uh consulting with regarding translations so that lady the lady at the church is also hungarian i mean it's a catholic church right so there's like all types of ethnic groups there there's the polish community uh i don't know too much i guess about the religious breakdown of hungary but i'm assuming they have some catholics or she's maybe a polish like i I don't know i mean she's able to translate the letter right even though the woman has been traced to budapest which is not you know, I guess I just was being narrow minded and thinking everyone there must be Polish too. But apparently there's a woman who can understand what we would assume the letters written in Hungarian. Do you have any thoughts on that? Did you spend a lot of time like beating yourself up? Did you lose any sleep? Were you unable to take a nap maybe because you were thinking about that? That question, Willie? Really? <laughs> w- I'm here. <laughs> uh,
0: help no, me. No, you don't help. say. <laughs>
1: no, nah, I, I, I don't lose sleep over it. Other things maybe, but uh yeah was that Omar's
0: van from the first
1: season no uh i don't know
0: yeah um yeah i don't i didn't think i didn't, i guess i didn't think about that as much as i should have
1: <laughs> i mean you shouldn't you should think about what uh you know things that will Help move this project forward, and you do a good job of that. I'm just like uh, going nuts over here, thinking about these random things. Well, I mean, you know, it's like she's very helpful. and she, As we talked about, she seems excited about trying to yeah, be right by really. this dead woman.
0: I mean, she um, holds on to the letter, right?
1: Yeah, she's she's gonna put in work because uh, there's some very general terms used, like Saint Vladimir's, mm-hmm. and this and that, which is a very common name of a you know type of church back back in the old country so but i don't know anything else uh, about jimmy's uh, voyage through this episode or
0: uh, I, I don't know do you think he should have signed that separation agreement
1: <laughs> well, he's like, let's get to the real juicy stuff. <laughs> when, uh, I don't know. Wait, di- he did you know, sign so it, right? He did sign it. Okay. But uh, he, he, was he, just saying he, he wanted to like think on it. Right. He thought she was asking for too much or-
0: Yeah. Well, he like, I think he signed it, but then he was like, I signed it, but you know, I want to like, I want to get back together with you. I want to work this yeah. out, but I'm just showing you that I can sign a piece of paper like this. You can't rely <laughs> <Yeah>. on
1: me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can can, like do what you want but like it's really not what I want so we're doomed regardless <laughs> yeah uh, she's like sure well I mean these headphones sound really great uh, yeah I'll take them to the gym yeah I mean the boys are upstairs you know it's quiet uh, so oh can you please leave jimmy so i can enjoy <laughs> this piece of peace and quiet yeah <laughs> anyways oh jimmy i mean yeah he's he's struggling bad couple. Yeah, couple yeah unhealthy couple unhealthy uh anyways we want to talk about some stuff uh, some 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 segments here some breakouts
0: yeah you want to get in downs hell yeah dude let's break it down you want to get into the wire universe
1: Try to make this concise and informative the uh, opening scene had some interesting uh topics brought up and uh, what i want to talk about mostly is the just carrying on of what frank was mentioning and the uh, the flow of work and so forth for, as opposed to you know uh, virginia and and baltimore um you know his concern about how nick's behavior might might deter to deter certain ship lines from coming into the city and and so forth and they might you know they're hurting for business but norfolk being a huge competitor um and whatnot so i think that this maybe is a, a tie into some some cur- like real life events you know that occurred as far as uh parallels that were made between the industries in in baltimore and norfolk respectively um mm. So I found a pretty interesting article that was reprinted by The Sun, but it was initially reported by The Wall Street Journal in 1990. And it's just drawing, a con- it's, it's like comparing and contrasting or mostly contrasting these two ports of Baltimore and Norfolk. Um, and just basically about how uh, Baltimore, you know, it, although they did, you know, suffer a decline of industry and so forth, it's not all just related to, to these outside forces. Like if there are specific examples possibly within the uh, within the unions that maybe uh, contributed to the decline of traffic as far as uh, shipping is concerned if you bear with me i got some little tidbits so uh basically over the decade of the 80s baltimore they the business and traffic at their port declined by 21 Uh percent and norfolk's increased by 131 percent so it's not just Basically what I'm saying, Nick and Ziggy and Johnny Fifty still in cans and so forth. That's that's contributed to this. There's a lot more to the to the puzzle. So at uh, this time in the early nineties or yeah, in this decade or around this time frame, their leader of the ILA was uh named Richard Hughes. I know I talked earlier about Walt Benowitz taking over, but that was uh and this is the ILA nine nine fifty-three in Baltimore. Um, we see it, of course, as the IBS local. They just right. kind of changed it to the Brotherhood, of the Brotherhood, of the Stevedores, and whatnot. But yeah, he wasn't regarded as the most popular guy. Richard Hughes. Basically, there were, you know reports in this article about um, you know foreign freight uh, forwarders. I think they were called just saying how how he hurt the union and he hurt um, the port of Baltimore. Just being difficult to work with and um so forth i got a little more details on that but um right on they're just they're basically just like comparing how in norfolk you know they were more modernized at this point in time the checkers had more access to the computer systems and so forth and they actually would try to compete against each other um you know in this context whereas an example they use in baltimore there's like a guy who's Uh, he's pretty much on the clock, but just hanging out um, while there's lines of trucks backed up. Um, But he's not really, he's not helping with that because his job is to just worry about outbound things instead of the incoming um, shipments um, and that like the computers are busy and I can't help out and so forth. Um, But, you know, this is something that it's like a kind of, it's a little tit for tat article but it's basically just painting you know how in baltimore labor and the you know how how steadfast the union was as far as preserving um the jobs and and resisting cuts led um you know a reputation to to be that they're really difficult to work with as far as the uh Right. The contract, the shipping contractors are concerned, and yeah, basically Norfolk, they you know worked with the management, the union to to you know expedite shipping processes and so forth. So, like one example also is that in Baltimore, they maintained that when a ship would come in, if there were to be different terminals utilized, they would have to be offloaded by separate crews, uh, whereas in Norfolk, they streamlined it to where one crew could essentially offload the ship at multiple terminals. And this caused costs in Baltimore to increase by 20% um, and so forth. So basically labor in Baltimore is like a black and white issue. There's no middle ground. So <laughs> they, w- they would resist like even the Maryland state legislators threats to, for example, cut a hundred job. And um, then, you know, they would threatened them with this like legal action and so forth. And Baltimore, the union would say that's union busting and so forth. Um, right. It's interesting because it's like, where do you draw the line between we're strong, you know, <laughs> a strong union town and so forth uh, as opposed to Norfolk. Yeah. They look like they're streamlining things, but are they just like, Selling out to management and so forth. So it's like, okay. I mean, I get it. Like there are reports in Baltimore where um, the truck drivers are saying that they are the the union members are selling hot dogs and sodas while while they're stuck in traffic, as opposed to like doing like, uh, stew like longshoreman duties. Uh they're selling they're selling fruit out of their van. And I mean I guess I read that someone got fired for selling hot dogs and, and stuff because you're not supposed to do that while you're uh, on the clock and potentially making sixty grand a year. Um but it's like they're trying to paint, you know, Baltimore is where they're just asking for more and more where whereas um you know the output isn't necessarily uh, rem- like it's not necessarily reflected in, in all the uh, the uh, concessions or all the demands that, that um you know, they're making. Uh, whereas Norfolk is super efficient. They do their job well. They meet with management <laughs> uh, once every three months to go out to dinner and discuss issues. And management even at that point had gotten them in their uh, headquarters, lounge couches and TVs, you know, because they're just like, they're just going to, they're going to work, you know, they're just yeah. i mean maybe they're making some concessions maybe they're maybe they're selling out their union but hey they got they got nice things their right. productivity is through the roof and while baltimore is just like oh i got the iron fist labor labor uh but just a little background on baltimore and norfolk to maybe why there's other reasons like there's a discrepancy in output and stuff um basically baltimore once had the geographical edge over norfolk virginia because Uh, their, um, their placement, you know, on the seaboard lined up more with the railroads that, uh, would immediately be able to travel to the Midwest and and the heartland and so forth to deliver the goods they offloaded, Uh. um, as opposed to Norfolk, which, you know, it's about 150 miles South. So they couldn't get the goods up to the Midwest, um, or that those areas as quickly. But when the railroads were deregulated in 1980, the um, I guess a couple of railroads or one large one. I don't have the name exactly. Uh, yeah, in order to they they cut costs or they were able to maneuver financially to um, you know move down to to Norfolk. So now with that edge, um, they saw more more ships. Just say you know I mean. Why go all the way up to Baltimore, have to navigate into the Chesapeake Bay to the Patapsco River and then offload there where we could just stop in Norfolk, which is right on the Atlantic and now has access to the railroads that have been deregulated. Um, to, to move product from there. So uh, pretty interesting. Also, Baltimore apparently was the only union in port that refused to work in the rain. So Wow. Like, <laughs> so like, a, yeah, when yeah. we're hearing all these things about, you know, Frank, like, ah, yeah. labor, it's disappearing, the end of work, like, you know, maybe Baltimore wasn't always the easiest crowd to uh, to work with. And yeah. they didn't want to work in the rain. I get it. It yeah. was class of being a stevedore. Uh, was classified as one of the most dangerous jobs um, by insurance carriers due to all the accidents. And we'll see an example of that later on in this series. And there, I mean, I'm, we'll have time to talk about plenty of uh, huge, huge incidences in Baltimore where people lost their lives. But yeah, we're, I mean, the article didn't explicitly say Norfolk wasn't scared to work <laughs> in the rain. Obviously, the the weather's a lot different down there, I'm sure. But yeah, it's basically in Re- Buttle, um Hughes, Richard Hughes, who was like the the head union guy of the ILA at that time, said that all these claims of his workers, you know, not not taking responsibility and so forth. Um, as far as you know trucker complaints are concerned, it's really just their fault because they don't come with the correct forms and this and that. And yeah, it just seemed like seemed like a lot. Um lot lot a lot going on. But basically also it's kinda of like, you know, we see this timeline of the show taking place, you know, two thousand three, but I think a lot of these things really like things really took a turn around this this like couple decades before. So we're yeah. just kind of seeing the residual effects. So I don't know how intense things were at that point in time, whereas this is nineteen ninety where this huge rivalry uh with Norfolk's Taking place and and you know labor and so forth, or productivity is trending downward already. Um, but also, yeah, the uh, they like to try to combat this uh, kind of unequal flow of, of of shipping going to Norfolk. They invested two hundred fifty million dollars at a sea. It's called Seagirt, uh, which was in Dundalk. It was like a five hundred seventy acre uh, shipping terminal. And at that point in time, the guy Walt Benowitz was the chief clerk of Seagirt, so it was to try to like yeah make it more competitive in Baltimore. But if labor's like uh, hard to negotiate with, people will just uh, take uh, take their business elsewhere. I don't know. I just feel I feel like Norfolk kind of was just undercutting Baltimore by selling out their their labor union. But maybe I got more research to do.
0: <laughs> I mean, that's a good uh, place to start though. That's an yeah. interesting little rivalry that they got going on there. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's kind of interesting that you brought up like, oh, this uh, this feud is over a decade old at this point. It's kind of similar to the approach they were taking in season one, where they're just like taking these major stories about drug organizations from the eighties and uh, applying them to a modern day context. So
1: Exactly. Yeah, that's that's what I gathered from looking into some stuff from Rafael Alvarez, who's like, yeah, you know, it's like a dramatized account of the docs at this point in time. But it's like, I think a lot of major strikes like Alvarez's dad wasn't necessarily I think his grandfather worked. uh, I think his grandfather worked at on the shipyards Bethlehem still maybe but his dad was more of a like tugboat uh uh operator so i don't think he was specifically a stevedore but he worked on the docks but his big strike that he was a part of was like in the mid-80s 84 i think so yeah a lot of a lot of these things like you said kind of drawing similarities to hey when did uh, little melvin's organization get broken up? 1984 <laughs> yeah. oh shit. No, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it seems like they do a brilliant job of taking things that, you know, occurred almost a decade, decade and a half prior. And then like you Reassembling, said. Reassembling. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that whole, I don't, yeah, exactly. Like the accuracy of, was this still taking place in 2003, the, the rivalry? I, I don't know, but it seemed like a pretty big, pretty big deal. And yeah, Baltimore just, I don't know. I mean, the kind of reading this and learning more about the background it did maybe i mean i'm of course sympathetic to labor and you know the struggles frank is is contending with but right. now learning things like hey you know i mean i guess compared to you know dead women showing up in the cans and people stealing cameras you know selling fruit and hot dogs while on your shift or <laughs> minuscule but everyone said you know baltimore is black and white you can't negotiate with them so they they kind of weren't playing any favors for themselves. I guess they weren't really interested in the upgraded uh, lounge furniture at this point. They're more more concerned. But it's interesting because, you know, they're protesting 100 workers being cut, which is those are 100 lives that are going to be drastically altered. But in Norfolk, where they're making more concessions at this time, they actually, I think, between 88 and 90 increased by 200 jobs. So they they right. added They added work. So it's like, uh, I just, you know, it's like, I don't know enough to be like, oh, yeah, they're just the union bosses are just gaming the system and asking for more workers and more pay increases because I'm not there on the docks risking my limbs and stuff. But yeah. I'm pro labor, Willie. I mean,
0: oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't doubt your your stances on that uh, whatsoever. But it just,
1: yeah, it's a little more critical, and people who worked with Richard Hughes and the ILA, like uh, the independent shippers, who you know would are the companies that you know utilize the port, said you know it's pretty much accurate. He uh, he was very detrimental to the uh, attractiveness of or yeah the allure of Baltimore as a as a port powerhouse so um so yeah maybe something something to to look into a little further but I thought it was yeah, a good great. start like you said well okay so there is some stuff about the uh yeah avon's space you know and and mm-hmm. his status in jail being involved in a, a corruption case and there are a few uh you know cases that, I've, that have that caught my attention over the years and concerns to maryland and in Baltimore as far as COs getting caught up and and so forth and these type of events of uh, smuggling and so forth so i got some things that are well, obviously insane. I mean, may, maybe might be a little entertaining, but like even though they impacted real lives. Let me see. Yeah, so I think just recently actually there was a case. Yeah, just it just broke I think on, what's the day? The 23rd? The 23rd. I think earlier this week something occurred uh, at the Chesapeake oh, okay. uh, cur- detention facility, which, yeah, I mean, I should have an exact and exact reading let me let me just plug that in real quick <laughs> yeah so a local a local correctional facility hoping i'm not uh digging myself a hole but uh mm. basically yeah there was i think three um three correctional officers implicated in a uh, in a scheme where they were pretty much smuggling in things like ciroc vodka <laughs> weed uh phones for inmates um They, one of them was a woman, a correctional officer who was having sex with the uh, inmates and so forth, which isn't uncommon um, in these kind of cases. But the main guy looks like, so check this out. This guy was making $90,000 a year as a CO at the Chesapeake Correct Detention Facility. Wow. Um, But yeah, he made that, that was his salary last year. But he was arrested, uh also he yeah, he was also arrested and implicated in um trying to I don't I don't know what he was actually doing, but he sh- was uh brought up on charges for attempted murder because he shot at the car of his girlfriend's daughter, who had her kid in the car at the same time. So it's like, what the hell? I mean I guess I guess there's this thing in Maryland where they wanted to implement like polygraph testing or more. Uh, like strict uh hiring procedures but that decimated the pool of applicants so there's now something like 700 vacant spots because who wants to really be a correctional officer (laughs) seems like awful but um there is even let's see there's even a bigger case that actually happened at the um uh central lockup, I believe. Yeah, the Baltimore City lockup, which we see on the show and referenced many times. So this uh, took, I think this took off initially in 2011. Um, so there were 44 defendants uh, who yeah, were eventually brought up on charges. Uh, I think that the first uh, round of prosecution started in 2013 and ended in 2015. But basically, there is a guy named Tavon White, who is a BGF member. He was the leader of the Black Gorilla family, in the which yeah, is a sure. huge gang out in that area and prison gang mostly. But also, you know, like I've talked about some of their uh, affiliates on the streets of Baltimore. Uh, but, yeah, he <laughs> he fathered four children with <laughs> correctional officers. <laughs> what the <laughs> um, he even bought one of Mercedes Benz and instructed <laughs> her to give it to another one of the correctional officers he was sleeping with or whatever. Yeah, they're uh, smashing in jail. And then that. Wow. Uh, that created a feud between those two correctional officers, but uh, yeah, that was just one part of it. I mean, he was basically, he would like, he was on the wiretaps from the jail as part of the investigation saying that, you know, this is my jail and so forth. So, I mean, compared to what Avon was a part of, this is, you know, this is like slim pickings. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, they were like, yeah, I mean the amount of, yeah, activity they were involved in, criminal activity as far as smuggling and so forth. I mean, yeah, he he basically was running the jail because they compromised the entirety of the staff for the most part. Um, but, yeah, um, pretty crazy stuff as far as the prison system's concern. I don't know. There was another one. Oh, yeah. In 2016, there was even larger one at the Eastern Correctional Institute, which is... Uh, more out in rural Maryland, but the, in that, 80 people were indicted. Um, 18 of them were officers, 35 were inmates, and 27 were others. So I, that's a little disturbing. <laughs> I mean, it's like the others, others uh, yeah, they're like ex-correctional, like uh, officers who maybe gotten fired, who have been in. And um, this, I mean, they all sound insane. What happened this week? You know, pretty a uh, little smaller scale, but. Um, Yeah, others, yeah, they're just affiliates or who knows, gang members (laughs) or family members. But in this case, they were, yeah, running more smuggling rings, more. Uh, correctional officers having sex with inmates, uh, and even uh, gathering intel on, on inmates who uh, the you know the gang members suspected of snitching, so that they could then you know confirm who they were trying to kill and so forth. So, um, like uh, pressuring prison staff and guards into giving uh, gang members or the ringleaders of this t- uh, more. Like flexible jobs that allowed them to be out in the open, like working in the kitchen or on certain details, where then they could then uh, easily, more easily, smuggle uh, in things into the prison and you know things out of the prison. So basically, they're yeah, I mean they're like dealing drugs from jail, basically making a lot of money. Like in the case of Tavon White, I, you know enough to buy Benzes for the correctional officers <laughs> that uh that your uh, yeah having kids with and so forth i don't know if he had a kid with that one but it kind of reminds me of uh you ever watched the night of
0: i haven't watched that uh but there's a there's kind of like a similar subplot in another movie that i was thinking of but what happens in the night of
1: well i mean it's it's nothing compared to this but um it's just like actually uh, michael k williams is like the you know he runs the jail pretty much and then his character is sleeping or, you know, having sex with the uh a female correctional officer. And it's written, I believe, by Richard Price. So Oh, interesting but yeah, just crazy stuff happening in Maryland. Uh, yeah. Correctional institutes and also subcontracted prisons and the central booking as well, where you had a gang take over the jail more or less. So crazy such, stuff,
0: such a major flex for an inmate to turn the tables around and have somebody else like, you know, <laughs> I, attending to his <laughs>
1: knees. <laughs> I'm the warden now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, at the time of watching The Wire, it's like the first time around, you're like, wow, wow, this is crazy. I mean, I've seen maybe a few like short documentaries on jail or like maybe my exposure was, remember that music video where Metallica like locks themselves in San Quentin? Mm. Wow. But now it's like a whole different world. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't. I don't know. I, I guess I got to do research. Is this more commonplace? Because when you see these like lockup documentaries, it never seems, it's just like dudes losing their mind in solitary confinement. And then here you have this, like someone running a <laughs> drug organization, yeah. fathering children with inmates and <laughs> buying Benzes. Yeah. It's a uh, aberration I'd imagine, but it's just, speaks to the corruption and yeah, Baltimore right. city and so forth.
0: There's another like national news story, like a few years ago that they made a mini series out of, right. The escape at Dannemora It's like that show oh, yeah, yeah, series yeah. about a prison right. guard that was having an affair with a couple of the inmates or something. I can't remember
1: the exact well, details. It's it's, I mean, it's great. I, I watched it and uh yeah, basically, I mean, she's like, She and her husband work in the prison, but they're not guards. Like he, Uh, he does maintenance. um, And then she's more like a shop supervisor who is like being manipulated or, I mean, she's manipulative too. Great show. I don't want to spoil it, but check it out. Yeah, it's really, it's pretty good. I thought, Uh, I'll tell you what, (laughs) Ben Stiller, Ben Stiller directing. No, but uh yeah, so pretty crazy stuff. Reports from the uh, prison systems of Maryland and Baltimore, but yeah, I don't needs- know, man. avon has got a maybe next time around he uh, he had some kids or bought some Benzes from from the cut or whatever. When he finally got his his real his real sentence, <laughs> I don't know. It's messed up. I don't, you know, I don't condone this. Or it's just like, I mean, what do you like? It is wild you you have this. Yeah, yeah, it is wild, but it's not, especially at the city lockup. I mean, you have, I mean, the industry is more or less, you know, drugs and so forth of, you know, Baltimore, sadly enough. I mean, we're seeing all the examples why, so it wouldn't be. I mean, it wouldn't be outlandish that the people who are just working their day jobs are also involved in this trade. I mean, I don't know the pay. 90k seemed like I don't know how much overtime he was working, but I'm sure the pay in Baltimore City is much less than, um, you know. I mean, why do we see corrupt cops? Maybe it's about power too, but because right. they're making a fat they're making a fat check on overtime too. But you know, who knows what people' motives are? But pretty wild it's crazy <laughs> always yeah. get to discuss these uh, enlightening uplifting topics
0: <laughs> yeah like i said this season is gonna be a lot more preppy that's uh,
1: gonna be a lot more peppy we can keep it light <laughs> a lot more peppy. yeah there you go yeah you want to get to all the pieces uh, matter
0: mentioned i kind of like showed showed my hand too early there with talking about the opening
1: scene hey, i i already know man I know how it is
0: but we do have this uh it seems like they're uh they're getting more loose with the form here in this season Uh, That I hadn't really remembered before, but they have like a little intercut montage uh, partway through the episode where it shows the dissolution of uh, Kima and Cheryl's relationship uh, side by side with the dissolution of Daniel's, uh, Cedric and Marla's relationship, which has the, you know, the traveling camera Uh, placed on both of their competing dinner tables where they're getting the news that they're rejoining the police force. Um, And, you know, that's, that's great because we already have all the information we need about, you know, what they're going to be doing with their careers and how their wife and girlfriend is going to be pissed off about it. So just giving us that creative little uh, nugget in there with uh, showing their reactions to it. It's a great way to condense, you know, the exposition or information that we already know and we don't need to have it being kept hammered in. Um, so yeah, just helps move the story on uh, really nicely. I think that might be the only (laughs) item I have for this segment because I, I was so enthralled with that opening that I just had to get that out of, out there right out of the gate.
1: (laughs) I mean, yeah, you, you uh, explained it to us, so regardless of the order of things, all the pieces still matter.
0: Sigh everybody.
1: I uh, I had one thing I noticed I don't I just wanted to talk about it here. Um so I, I noticed uh in reading David Simon's tweets, uh which, you know <laughs> try to, you know if I am on Twitter, uh melting my brain, I guess I'll, you know, look at what david simon's up to but i do recall a long time ago i I knew i should have done my homework here um maybe i could google it or something but it's an old tweet from david simon where someone had like they added him or whatever you call it they basically were calling him out or asking him why um the nfl or football isn't really mentioned in the wire and uh, you know baseball is and he just went he just went off on the uh he just went off on the NFL and how like, damn it, Willie, this would have been a great time to to pull this up. But I don't know. It was like from months ago and he tweets. He's pretty, pretty active. So, you know, he was just basically roasting the NFL, probably calling them like fuck twits and stuff like that or whatnot. <laughs> how they're terrible. So he never talks about them. But I don't know if he said never in the tweet again. It would be helpful to have that uh, handy. Should have done my homework more thoroughly, but there was a reference to the NFL in this episode at the end by the bar uh, where I guess right before Frank is uh, sobered up by the um, statements from Lester and Bunk regarding the homicides that occurred on his docks. He's talking about Big Daddy Lipscomb. And how, you know, they're like going back and forth. You need to go down to Schuller's Steakhouse or, you know, Big, Big Daddy Lipscomb was a left tackle. No, he was a right tackle. So I was like, oh, shit, they're talking about football. And yeah, they're talking about a, a guy named uh, Eugene Big Daddy Lipscomb, who was a legendary uh, Baltimore Colts player. And just player overall, he was 6'6", six, six, 306 pounds. So, big daddy, definitely. I don't know. I don't need to get into all of his motivations behind his nickname. But he was a huge guy. He had a huge appetite for, uh, uh, or insatiable appetite for women, liquor, and apparently drugs, which unfortunately led to his demise. But before I get into that, yeah, he helped the Baltimore Colts um, when. The Super Bowl in 1958 and 59. Yeah, he played for them from like uh, 56 to 60, I believe. So a long time ago, and then he um, he tragically passed away actually of a heroin overdose in, uh, terrible. in Baltimore in 1963, where when he was playing at the uh, playing for the Pittsburgh Steelers. But I guess he still had ties to Baltimore. He actually. He died in a row house apparently on Bryce down in Southwest. And Bryce is the street that intersected with Edmondson where uh, Avon sent or they, you know, were trying to take Scar's territory down on Edmondson and Bryce. The Edmondson gully. Yeah. So I guess he couldn't escape, you know, and it's kind of tragic and ironic that, you know, Baltimore known as a heroin uh, Carolina town, yeah, capital. And then it took his life. He was a, he was a beloved, uh, figure in the, yeah, Baltimore sports world and beyond uh, another sports world and like football in general. So
0: anything else you have for this segment, uh,
1: no but i got a rain check for everyone on that david simon nfl tweet okay yeah well maybe maybe we'll just have to retweet it from the gods (laughs) will want to save you twitter
0: Uh, we'll get our people to look into we'll we'll get a social
1: media team on the case darren get to get busy on that
0: (laughs) um all right so do you have any geography are you a geo genius today (laughs) And you texted me earlier in the week that you were <laughs> in the middle of a little bit of an investigation. So let's see what you got. Geo genius. I mean,
1: Geo genius. Well, it, it took me a little while to wrap my head around what I was actually trying to figure out. It centers around Jimmy looking for Omar, which I forgot. That's what I kind of want to open up with is why this is my mm-hmm. type of episode, because although the plot is developing and things are, you know, there's a little more suspense here and there. Any episode where we have a character or someone driving around Baltimore, that's, that's my kind of deal. I guess I got a little burns in me, Willie. Like I could just, I just, a whole episode of Jimmy just looking for Omar in yeah. Baltimore. <laughs> I could do. <deal.
0: laughs> yeah, that's true. He would be a good, uh, Ed Burns. Be like, oh, apprentice.
1: I, any, yeah. Any, any episode like, where someone's just yeah, headed around. Ooh, where's Kima and Bubble? Like where's she taking him? Oh, look, look at this little uh Chase of Avon in season one. Like that's probably my favorite episode of season one just because they're like driving around. Like, oh what street sign is that? Uh but anyways, the first uh yeah. if you recall, yeah, when Jimmy is out on the streets, he's kind of you know, making his rounds. Um And the first corner that he turns on and passes by a store where there's a group of men like, oh, here come the cops, you know, kind of planting the seed for this ironic encounter he'll have later with another group of men. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas he's, you know, a cop in Baltimore, obviously, but doesn't care about the drugs. He just, you know, it's like Jimmy has this higher... Uh, calling in this moment to solve a murder or prosecute it effectively by finding his key witness, but, anyways, that uh corner, the store that they're standing on initially is on West Dolphin and South, uh, well, not West, it's on Dolphin and and Myrtle Avenue. So, oh, nice, kind of like an aquatic sounding corner, like, oh, dolphins, and like, I don't know, I think of turtles when I hear Myrtle, but, anyways. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know. And then also there's a Myrtle street in our hometown, but this is okay. think, maybe it's an Avenue, but this is Myrtle Avenue. So yeah, Jimmy's heading West on dolphin, if I'm correct. And then he heads South on Myrtle. Um, and this is in the Upton neighborhood, which is uh yeah, it's, it's very accurate as far as where, uh, Omar may be hanging out because to the east it's bordered by McCullough homes, which we know are where the pit was based. Um, and then yeah, to the, to the west of it is Harlem park. And then to the south, like south, uh, east is like downtown. It's really not far from downtown. And then, um, Yeah, just to the south a little more is Lexington Terrace area, which is where Franklin Terrace is based, of course. So, you know, you have Pennsylvania Avenue to the east, and he's, you know, he's like in a very, it's a very concentrated area. But when he makes that turn to head south on Myrtle, he heads, you know, down, down, it looks like he's maybe headed down a hill. Um, And then I was trying to track to where he meets the group of guys that he confronts, and then he's like, Like I said, he's like, hey, you know, I don't care about the drugs. I hate littering, though. So those drugs you're trying to hide from me, pick them up when I leave. I'm looking (laughs) for Omar, and I expect you gentlemen to tell me what you know about Omar in the open here while everyone's looking at (laughs) you talking to the police. So, you know, one of them's like, fuck you, officer. But it's like, you know, the rapport kind of, it's like, oh, he's, you know, he said officer, but he's also like, fuck off. But (laughs) anyway, my point is here Willie that I don't know if that shot and that corner lines up with the natural progression down Myrtle street. Cause I can't find, it's not that I can't find where, you know, that is based on like coordinates and street signs cause, because there are none when he stops. But if you look at the shot, the initial shot of him turning the corner um, you can see, you know, a little bit, a little ways down the street. And then it doesn't line up with what is in view of, you know, his, his final stop there when he exits the vehicle, because down Myrtle street, there's an area called heritage crossing. And those are basically mixed income townhomes that were built. And I think, yeah, they're created right around the time of this uh, season two, 2003. Uh, Essentially in place of Murphy Homes, which were the giant projects, of course, that were kind of worked in a symbiotic relationship with Lexington Terrace. So, yeah, I don't know. Just like a discrepancy, I believe. Mm. So where, where you see the kind of I think like in this episode, you can see maybe the. Initial like uh, I think maybe the townhomes were built, but then yeah, they're not. Nothing's in view. It's a different street. What I'm saying that he stops these guys on, so yeah. kind of weird. But uh, yeah, uh, Heritage Crossing—they're called the uh, the townhomes. They were 260 units. 75 were offered to uh, I think residents that were living in the Murphy homes that were um, demolished around the turn of the new century. So weird but I don't know. Yeah. Okay, so another uh location. Actually this is brought up quite uh earlier. Uh Fort Armistead. So <laughs> something something I don't recall the exact dialogue, but Frank is you know, when he's talking to Nick, you know, the initial o- opening it's like you'll be down at Fort Armistead or something like that. Basically Fort Armistead is uh Pretty far south. It's even south of Curtis Bay. Um Jeez. so it, it essentially is just across the six ninety-five uh bridge or highway that connects uh Dundalk to that part of uh yeah, Maryland and south of Baltimore. So it's on the the west side of the it's like it's basically on the mainland, I guess you could say. Um so but, yeah, it was a coastal fort that was erected to protect the Baltimore Harbor and so forth from 1901. It was active from 1901 to 1920. So, uh, yeah, good stuff. I want to uh, maybe get into a little reviews about uh, Fort Armistead, if you're mm-hmm. interested. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't really read too much about that. But uh, one thing that I forgot, it's related to the whole McNulty looking for them thing, like looking for Omar because... I also found where uh, where Bubbles and Johnny were getting on the bus. Oh, yeah, nice! Uh, that's on uh, that's on Lafayette, just off of Fremont, because he passes this church, New Macedonia. So I know we see St. Casimir. So I, you know, we got to give a shout out to New Macedonia Church as well, which is a Baptist church in the Upton neighborhood. And then Bubbles and Johnny get on the bus. Do you do you know the music? Do you know any of the songs that was listening to? Because they're really good. And I was tripping out like. Okay, do you know about Billie Holiday? Do you are you familiar with her music at all? A because little bit, yeah. I was like I can't I I looked through some of her music because they're passing right by the Billie Holiday statue because she had her like she, you know, thought of Baltimore as as home more or less. Um, so,
0: yeah. So a couple of the songs that are Listed on the soundtrack, there's Ruler of My Heart by Irma Thomas. Can be heard oh, okay. when McNulty spots bubbles and Johnny. Okay, good. Okay, so I was that's like, from, there's no... that's from Wikipedia.
1: Great, great song. I mean, I I wanted to know just because I wanted to listen to the songs again, but also I was like, there's no way Billie Holiday has like a much different sound from an earlier era. But I was like, wow, how crazy would it be if they're playing a song or like Mm someone singing a cover while they're passing by her statue? Because it's right there in the Upton neighborhood because Lady Day, uh, yeah, very familiar with Baltimore, used to perform there. And I've gotten into some other conspiracies, Willie, where I'm like, oh, shit, the saxophonist that she was very close with and who gave her the nickname Lady Day, name was Lester Young. And I'm like, oh, Lester loves jazz.
0: Yeah, there was, you go.
1: <laughs> was, was Simon messing with us? And like, I'm going to pull Lester. And then Lester Fre- Freeman, Freeman's the last name of uh, uh, DeAndre uh baby mama, Tyrika Freeman, who he had a kid with. Right. So I don't know. That's that's pretty crazy. But anyways, um, I, I had an opportunity to make some clear connections, but I stumbled over things and it's just like things are going crazy. But anyways, yeah, so okay. they're headed east on Lafayette to which mall they stole all those things from. I don't know. Their plot, uh, a little bit iffy for me. I mean, <laughs> pretty obvious. But with you know. the oversized Maybe. coats, you mean? <laughs> I mean, it is. It is a little cold, right? It's still winter, but I mean the whole, like the trash bag, just full of stuff. It's like, you guys obviously look, they look a little out of place, um, but that's definitely some Gary McCullough type stuff right there. Yeah. But, uh, anyways. Back. Yeah. So this, uh, heavy concentration on that area, of West Baltimore with McNulty. So he's pretty much just driving around in like a very s- small radius. But as I said, Fort Armistead, uh, <laughs> Something something was mentioned between Frank and Nick. Like you're gonna be down at Fort Armistead. Like I said, it's south of south of Curtis Bay, south of White Mike Land, um, <laughs> <laughs> opposite of uh, Dundalk and whatnot. But uh, it's I guess part of Hawkins Point. So it runs, yeah, just just west of the. Oh yeah, the, so it's just it's on the west side of the. Uh, the uh, Francis Scott Key Bridge which is where essentially Jimmy uh you know pinned the the first floater on the Baltimore City Homicide Department so hey maybe yeah he was hanging around Fort, Fort Armistead but yeah hasn't been active in many 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 years so let's see let's see what people have to say about Fort Armistead uh it has 3.9 stars uh 319 reviews man so, Mike, our first uh, first reviewer, on the water, relaxing, listening to water break on rock walls. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that so funny?
0: <laughs>
1: oh, man. You can hunt for sea glass and driftwood, says Marie. Very interesting. Trails and lots of places to climb up on. You can also fish from the dock. Michael says... <laughs> And this is a man who has a picture of himself with a, with a fish, which we might learn more about in his comment. He's smoking a cigar <laughs> while holding it up. <laughs> like mm-hmm. He's sport fishing. Good fishing there. Caught a Citation white perch there a few weeks ago. <laughs> so I don't know if he means that. He got a citation for fishing. Yeah, and caught a white perch as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those two things
0: kind of run together.
1: All right, let's get let's see a one star review from Charles. I've been going here since a young boy kept returning because of location. But this place is disgusting. Very dirty needle. Very dirty. Needs a cleanup, sorry. And a facelift. I would Damn. I would recommend taking your trash with you when you leave. Oh, reasonable. Parking lot needs to be repaired along with driveway along seawall. I would be willing to help clean it up, but it would be a undertaking.
0: Huh. Does that That's That had a lot of layers to it because it was one star and he started out with saying like, I've been coming here forever since I was a kid, but it was like a fall from grace review almost where he's like, look, I want to, put my put an effort back into like getting this place to wonder where it once was this what used to be a five-star review that i could have been writing oh charles
1: Charles, man it's like man this is there's one picture by mandy this is like a photo of her posing it might be mandy it's like there's a bunch of graffiti just five stars great place to see and for pics p-i-x eduardo the mexican platypus gave it five stars
0: <laughs>
1: now, is that it? <laughs>
0: Is that, did you just come up with that name right now? What?
1: That... <laughs> why, why would I nickname someone Eduardo the Mexican platypus? I don't. I mean, there's been worse things said about Mexicans, obviously. But, uh, <laughs> the history of the place is enough to entice a history buff like myself. But even if you're not a big fan of history, the aesthetics of the fort are amazing. The entire fort is covered in ever-changing graffiti. Every time. you... go it'll feel like a new place wow Patrick Fisher a local guide says this place is pretty cool it smells very bad and the ground is covered in garbage (laughs) (laughs) also many people in the parking lot engaging in or waiting to engage in sex acts or as Willie might say fornicating (laughs)
0: Uh, uh, so he's, he said this place is cool, but then went on to complain about a bunch of different yeah,
1: stuff. Yeah, four stars. This place is pretty cool. It smells very bad, and the ground is covered in garbage. <laughs> <And> there's <laughs> imminent sex acts happening everywhere. This place is a dump. Not surprising since it's under the maintenance of Baltimore City. One star from Berserker. Well, that that review wasn't very berserk, I gotta say. I know. It's a little bit just out of like the Clem classic playbook of, eh, it's a dumb, just vote for me. Maybe on the ticket. Wait, I'm tripping, Willie. Maybe this is, maybe they weren't referencing like, ah, Fort Armistead. I think maybe they were there. Maybe this is the opening scene because all the pictures, it like it looks like Uh the shot, like the bridge. So maybe I'm just, I'm simping on the geo, man. Let's see. Trush everywhere exclamation need major cleanup all caps who do you think this is Willie? no <laughs> uh here's here's i don't know if i want to wrap up with something like this but it's just from vinny one star enjoy the pics online this place was horrible oh man yeah it just seems like people like it but it looks like littering is a huge uh that's too bad for th- F-H-H-D-D-V-H-H-D-D-Y-H. Is that Uh, somebody's name or is that the review? That's the reviewer? I don't know what that even means. It's an interesting park, five stars. Wow. Okay. Amazing. Uh, (laughs) uh, Oh, maybe we'll end with Calvin's. Rock and perch are biting on blood worms.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> Rock and...
1: Uh, I mean, the perch is a fish. I'm assuming, you know, it's the bait and the fish, uh, but is that a, uh, you know, it's like a metaphor for what... Uh, no.
0: <laughs> are there blood... Wait, blood wor- Is there a difference between regular
1: worms and blood worms? Uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, makes them blood, Maybe... Worms? Yeah, you just, like, bleed them while you're fishing. Hmm. Uh, but I don't know. I've never come across bloodworms before. <laughs> uh, yeah, but good stuff. Fort Armistead. Yeah, it just nice. seems, uh, seems like some historical appreciation mixed with disdain for the amounts of garbage. But, you know, rock, perch, and bloodworms. <laughs> uh, all right, well, yeah. Let me, I got a couple more things, you know, I'll keep it, I'll keep it brief here. So, uh, well, so yeah, since Nick, that was kind of based on Nick's interactions, this episode, he also was talking to Amy, uh, while mm-hmm. walking with his daughter, Ashley, is that correct? Well, anyways, there, uh, you know, he's feeling optimistic about things with the new, uh, vacation fund or the <laughs> slush fund that's come his way, which he's like, oh, that's great. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, You're totally trustworthy. Uh, but anyways, he's talking about Aunt Teensy's place up on Covington, up in Covington. But, yeah, I mean, she got some nice hardwood floors, I think he said, or, you know, you might want to just buy within the family, it seems. But uh, I was looking maybe Covington might be a neighborhood, but I never heard of it, and I couldn't find anything. So I think he's just referencing uh, road. So essentially um, it falls within, you know, the geographical locations of season and his neighborhood, more or less. Uh, It's basically a north-south road through the Riverside neighborhood, which is just west of Locust Point. It runs from on the south, I-95, all the way up north to Key Highway. Um, And then you inevitably, inevitably will reach the Inner Harbor uh, which mm-hmm. kind of takes me to my next little location, which mm-hmm. is on the opposite side of the harbor, Fells Point, where Kima lays a smackdown on some frat boys, as Sherry calls awesome. them. Yeah. <laughs> it's like one of the times of like police brutality, more or less, where you're like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, she totally, uh, it kind of also like, well, I don't want to steal Kima's center, but it, it gives me vibes of, uh, a B Rabbit and Papa Doc from Eight Mile when he, uh, he just sweeps out his legs uh, on a car hood, but you know, it's been
0: it's been a while for me since I've seen that,
1: <laughs> yeah, which you know understandable,
0: I think the last uh, time I saw it in its entirety was when I was in high school, which was <coughs> years ago okay
1: you okay there uh in inter- expression it was probably when we were at a friend's house and i was like come on guys like lobbying to try to speak cool or something like <laughs> everyone to watch Eight mile yeah but i remember we watched it a few times i mean we watched it once together in, in its entirety I, I believe it was it was fun for me but apparently <clears throat> for you <laughs> or maybe that was a reference to your, like high school time which we know were very impactful especially the amazing teachers you had in your, <laughs> in your senior year uh, anyhow but yeah that uh that interaction occurred on uh, south broadway in alisiana so that's pretty much in the center of fell's point it's like obviously you know based on the scene like the uh, area looks like it's uh, just overrun with Drunk frat boys and just <laughs> engaging in almost, almost Ziggy like behavior on the hood of, on the hood uh, of that car. Yeah, right? exactly. Well, he was trying to like moon them or something, but yeah. yeah, you know what would a lawyer <laughs> when we go lawyer we go. Oh, never mind. Uh, <laughs> what would a lawyer do in that situation? <laughs> That's what Cheryl wants Kima to think like, but she's police. You know, yeah, she's hey, the police. Could you say that she heard? uh the music or no i think so she she just she was she was dancing (laughs) yeah she was dancing (laughs) he he was trying to ghost ride the whip and she put an end to that but yeah fell's point seems like a pretty interesting area it's uh yeah uh one of the older parts of baltimore even though you know a lot of it is so it's right on the you know inner harbor which has become the As we talked about the swanky part of town, whereas in the past, it was probably one of the more, uh, you know, rough areas as far as all the activity and pollution caused by the heavy industry and sailing and shipping that occurred in that area. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but what did she do with them after like she handcuffed like first of all, she's out on a date, I'm assuming, or they're like going right. out to meet people. But she like like off-duty cops do they roll around with their handcuffs too. I know some of them like have their their off-duty gun or you can't like have your service weapon and equipment, right? Right. Out- yeah, that was hey, maybe she just had them on her. But yeah, I mean now it's like Cheryl's just like palming. the night's ruined. Now we have to wait for the nearest like cop to come by. It's a whole scene and take this guy in or whatever. Bad, uh, crazy bad date stuff. I'll make sure to never arrest anyone. If I'm uh, once things open up, you know, <laughs> I do feel like though, that could be a scene that we're going to see quite a bit of like after things. Uh Well, things have more or less opened up. We're just like the lame ones, I guess. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of crazy. Uh, maybe, uh, people hanging out the roofs of hum- Hummers in the, uh, Riding yeah. around the city here. Yelling. There's gonna be a lot of like pent
0: up energy <sighs> released out into the, the dumbass gonna, sphere.
1: The D- dumbass just gonna, sphere. There's gonna be like dumbass like bros who've just been watching the UFC like in their apartments <laughs> for six months. Like I forgot how to party. Like I just now I'm at the bar. What do I do? <laughs> Americans just want a solid job to provide for their families and to fight. Yeah my trt is going good so <laughs> <laughs> uh but anyways willie i i don't know i don't think i have any more notes like any more any more geo stuff to share i hope that i hope that was uh pretty much all because i know i've been going on and on but that's, that's good stuff uh, <laughs> uh yeah man but uh, it's been fun i'm sure uh be interesting listening to this back and yeah. our two hours and thirty-two minutes.
0: <laughs> yeah, I just got a notification that my
1: storage space is running low. <laughs> All right, man. You wanna wrap this up? My- <laughs> sure.
0: All right.
1: Uh, uh
0: Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, As always, as I said before, if you want to donate, anchor.fm slash thegodswillnotsaveyou slash support. And uh, be sure to follow us on the social media, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.
1: Yeah, we hope you enjoyed this episode. If you are not on those social platforms and ever want to reach out uh, via email, our address is the gods will not save you at gmail.com. That's right.
0: Thanks for giving that little plug. And we also want to give a little plug or a shout out to the graphic designer who did our emblem, our logo, uh, Andre Tesnis. Great job there with the cover art.
1: Yes. Thanks, bud. Fantastic work as always. And also want to shout out Mostark for providing us with some original intro, outro, and bumper music right. if you're interested. Oh, yeah. And uh, here, More of his awesome work. Check him out, mostart.com. All right, thanks,
0: everybody. We'll catch you. Catch, catch. We'll catch up with you next week.